The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Good morning, and thank you for joining host Cheryl Esposito for an intriguing hour of Leading Conversations. Each week, Cheryl brings together big thinkers to the Voice America Business Channel. Now here's your host, Cheryl Esposito. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to Leading Conversations. This is Cheryl Esposito. Today our guest is Gary Malkin. Gary is a wonderful man. The first time I met him was in Bali, and he was just wowing us with his musical prowess and his creation of the conference. And he's the founder and CEO of Wisdom of the World. He calls that a life-enhancing media company. He's an award-winning composer, producer, performer, and public speaker. He has won multiple awards, including Emmys, ASCAP, Clio Awards, and he is dedicated to catalyzing social change and individual healing. Gary, welcome to Leading Conversations. Fantastic to be here. Thank you for having me on, Cheryl. Well, it's great to have you here. Now, where are you today? I'm in my uh, last days of being a Northern Californian, um, although I'll always be here because I'm up and down the coast. But I'm, I'm in San Francisco, Marin County, to be exact. Uh-huh. And so you're la- oh no, you're leaving us? What's happening? Well, I have my studio up here, so and my mom lives here too. So I'll be living in the Bay Area off and on and performing and offering things, but my base of operations is moving to Southern California, to Ojai actually. Wow, a new chapter. And by the way, it's not Ohio, it's Ohio. O J A I. That's right. 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 Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Ohio is a very special place on this planet. Yeah, it it's is. a beautiful place. So, Gary, it's just it's just such an honor to have you here. Um, you know, seriously, I have been so inspired by your work mm. over the last few years, and. So, I don't know if the word is impressed or just, to coin a phrase, blown away by what you do with music and connecting music to people, getting it inside of us. That was my experience in front of you, was the music became part of who we were. And, you know, tell us a little bit about, you know, kind of where this started for you. Where was your interest in music developed? Well, well, first of all, I just want to say how grateful I am that you, as a visionary of consciousness and innovation, would recognize that music was not just the garnish to the main course of life, but actually what I like to call it is the digestive enzyme that enables us to absorb the true nutrients of life. And most many people are still from the old view that music and media and immersive experiences such as those things that touch and move and inspire us are merely the the things that will make that lubricate life's challenges and make things be a little bit more easy to stomach or traverse. And those visionaries that understand that music and media and uh, and all the arts are so much more than that 
to me, I you know, hats off to all to you and to all those who acknowledge that it's way more than that. And so I just want to acknowledge. Thank you so much for giving me a chance to talk about that. And uh, so just in terms of, you know, I was one of those freak uh, anomalies where I didn't grow up in a musical home. And uh, I was, for some reason, I grew up needing uh, or having a hardwired need for presence. And the word presence, oh. I, I just love the word presence. It's To me, presence is, you can say many things about it, but essentially presence is that, that the fruit of being fully there in your heart, in your body, in your mind, in your spirit. And, and what results in human beings when you're fully there is the fruit of that is that you get the benefit of all of those beautiful aspects that are unique to each of us. Um, and in, in that way, we get to be able to claim that part of ourselves and bless others with our presence. So music, for me, at a young age, provided that when I was five. And I just took to the piano instantly. I played whatever I could hear. Um, instantly, wow. <laughs> right away, and my mother found me at a friend's house one day when I was playing harmony and melody, and the friend's mother said, I didn't know he was taking piano lessons, and my mother, open-jawed, said, I didn't either. <laughs> <laughs> and, okay, uh, it was yeah, a surprise so, to everybody. Yeah, totally, and I, my experience was that, you know, I did some shamanic work as I was exploring this, and I, long ago, and I found that, that I remembered sort of, whether it was in a dream world or not, I remembered a moment when, when I touched the piano, I went down the rabbit hole of, of full presence. So finally, like, huh. this is what I came here for. This is life, life changing. And I couldn't ever not play the piano since the age of five. You know, it was just part of my world. You know that it's fascinating to me when kids come into the world and, and there is just a knowing in their spirit that uh, what they're supposed to be doing and that they're allowed to follow that because oftentimes that is cut off. And it, seems, it must be that your mother then must have said, well, okay, <laughs> here you go. Is it's that true. true? Yeah, it's true, although they didn't know anything about it, so they got terrible teachers. But ironically, the terrible teachers were a strange and inadvertent catalyst for me being more inventive. So that's where the composer in me got developed, was mm-hmm. I had uh, piano teachers that were terrible in the early years. So I ended up really learning a lot from playing and improvising and exploring by myself. Um, but, you know, it's interesting. Then there's the other side. One of my composition teachers is a world-famous choral composer named Morton Lordson, and he didn't start composing until he was 20 years old, and now he's the most celebrated choral composer on the planet. Um, so, so if you're, you know, you don't, I don't want to romanticize that if you were given that gift from the moment, you know, shortly after you were born, or whether you've just decided this is what I'm going to do with my life. It's really true that um, there is no one way to get there. Right, right. Well, and the really smart people who even even the ones that are gifted, really smart ones look for the great teachers and, you know, are willing to say, I, I, need, I need to refine, I need to always be open to learning and, you know, evolving. And so it sounds like that's a lot of what you did. Uh, yeah, yeah. Although I have to tell you, I I grew up in a family where you know, a New York Jewish family where achievement was really important, and I I never felt like I was, you know, really fully looked at with respect by my dad because I was the musician, and so I came in feeling like I had to prove 
that I could be a composer and a musician and still be a force in the world. That in um, the world, yeah, and that's I think that had a part in why I started looking at extra musical contributions that music and media and art can provide, and that's why I've been a bit of a bridge into um, corporate culture, healthcare culture, bridge, culture, you know, cross-cultural bridging tools. All those things are ways in which I've used music as a as a, a way to have it be an ambassador of consciousness, or if at, at the very least, uh, a communicator of the importance of our hearts being the center of everything we do, you know? Well, so you call your company a life-enhancing media company. Correct. Has it always been that? Have you always viewed it that way? You know, it's really interesting. Um, I, so I started composing professionally for television TV theme packages and commercials and, mm-hmm. and documentaries in 1979, actually. Um, and I didn't, I just knew that I wanted to create uh, and get paid for it, you know. So I'll never forget when I first saw something on television that I'd done, I was just ecstatic. I was in my 20s. And what I learned, though, was uh, over time, when I did the pro bono jobs, the jobs I've done so many, whether it was a public service announcement or it was a socially responsible documentary, I'd invariably, you know, waive my creative fee. They'd pay the costs only. And I'd go home at night, not being any richer financially, but feeling so plugged into my sense of meaning and connection and why I came here. And that's when, over time, I started to really yearn for a career that was 100% focused on using music and media and all the things that I do as a way to leave not only the world a better place, but create tools where each of us could help cultivate ourselves to be better um, better citizens of, 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 of heart and mind and spirit. So... No, it was not at all that way. I just learned that as a result of all these, I did in 1981. I did an anti-nuclear documentary that proved it was about the Rocky Mountains uh, nuclear mm-hmm. plant in uh, yeah. Denver, and it proved that you know in peacetime we were killing ourselves. And and I remember being in the back of the room uh, at at Lincoln Center, uh, Alice Tully Hall. It was the opening night of the New York Film Festival. I was 28 years old, and I was sitting in the back of the room, and there was a theme at the end of the piece it was very it was called dark circle and it was a a film filled with despair and the filmmaker said this is the point the last four minutes of the film you have to communicate that there's a sense of hope that it's not the experts or the or the politicians that will change this but it's us that must change this and so i remembered writing this piece of music for orchestra and oboe and it was against geese flying and a narration and all this and i saw with my own eyes, what air, the air felt and looked like with from heavy hearts uh, to suddenly hope being injected in the air. And in that moment, I went, oh, my God, the responsibility, the opportunity, the gift to be able to change emotional context in a subliminal way was like, oh, my God, this is so much more of a... Of a, of a have a responsibility, if you will, yeah. Then, yeah. And then just being an accoutrement to some sort of a larger thing. So I, right. I, that's when I decided, oh, I've got to do this somehow all the time. And that's what Wisdom of the World came out of. That was what that really came out of. You know, as you say that, uh, I think, of, as you say, it's a, it's a big responsibility. I see what, what an interesting nuance, you know, because oftentimes 
when we hear music and it just fits so well in some movie or, you know, whatever, we, it can be manipulative. It can be manipulating the emotion. Totally. And, uh, and yet it sounds like this is not that. This is almost like an invitation, bringing people into the truth. It's interesting. You know, I love that you said that, Cheryl. Yeah, I, but I don't think manipulation is a... It, it has a very negative connotation. But when you manipulate for good, um, there, I would use another word. When you... It's like you said, an invitation, that's good. Uh, there are other words, too, like uh, intentional... Um, being intentional about the environment that you're yeah. in and what its objectives are. Um, there's now new developments that I'm very excited about, developing musical and media tools that will create um, the propensity for people to be, for example, in healthcare, more compassionate, empathic, and more connected, yeah. or, or in corporate environments, more uh, a more cooperative and co-creative than than you know the maverick individualist society that we grew up in. So, I, yeah, I, I don't think manipulation is such a bad thing if it's done for a good purpose. So, um, but maybe I yeah, use a that's different a good word. Point. That's a good point. Well, let's talk a little bit about um, the neuroscience of music. You know, I, I'm fascinated with the whole reasoning behind why our brain responds the way it does. I mean, we all know how um, music gets into our soul, and we can remember music, we can remember the words to songs more than we can remember things we read, and, you know, how when we hear a song, it takes us right back to the situation where we first heard it or where it was connected to us in a really meaningful way. Right. What happens in our brain? What's the, the science behind that? Wow. Well... What's so exciting about people that create music that are interested in using music as a tool for facilitating, lubricating, assisting, catalyzing uh, other things like, uh, you know, higher performance, learning, more, greater learning assimilation, healing, reduction of pain, these, all these things. There is a renaissance of of quantified information. You know, Lord knows we live in the culture where the gatekeepers of acceptance are, you know, basically evidence-based science and research. And we right. now, with all of the things that we've discovered, not only brain research, but also the Greater Good Science Center in Berkeley talks about the relationship between the vagus nerve and oxytocin. And yeah. we can actually test how much oxytocin is in your blood and, and immediately after different kinds of music and different kinds of media. And that I don't actually have a direct correlation to your ability to feel empathic and compassionate, you know. So there's amazing, and then great this great book by Daniel Levitin, Your Brain on Music. There's yes. just endless amounts of research now that are coming uh, that are proving what the indigenous people have known all along. That you know, my my whole one of my talks keynotes that I give is called you know the artist as shaman, and in the in the ancient times, the the the, the chant and the drum were the grand and great effective assimilators of consciousness. Uh, they grounded our experience in a way that we remembered better. We, we, we were lighter. We were more able to receive information. So, um, I mean, I, the list goes on so much, Cheryl, in terms of what it can do. But 
what I can tell you is if you Google neuroscience and music or your brain on music or, or even the work at HeartMath does, um, I'm starting to work very deeply with one of the, C, the former CEO of HeartMath, Bruce, <laughs> Bruce Cryer. And for those of you who don't, you know HeartMath, right, Cheryl? Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, I think you know Howard, I think, probably. Yes, I do, yes. Right. Well, that Bruce Cryer has been with them from the very beginning, and Bruce and I are going to give a talk to a 1,000 nurses in two weeks. Um, it's called uh, What Makes Your Heart Sing? Redis- yeah. Rediscovering the Power of Music as a Catalyst for Healing. And right. So there's just, I, I mean, I, I didn't give you any specifics other than telling you that there is there are ways that people are using music in intentional ways for pain reduction, for uh, awakening consciousness, for cultivating a way of being more present. All these things are uh, profound, and they're really happening, and they're being proved every day. That's fantastic. It is such an exciting way. It's almost as if we're, as you said, we're moving into another renaissance time. We you are. Know, it's, yeah, it's really fascinating. So, you well, know, Michelle, the other thing is we are, we, you know, we used to live in the age of information. Yeah. But to me, we're living now in the age of integration. And, and anyone that is coming from a reductionist standpoint, and reductionist is that word that, that, uh, um, that is the opposite of holism in medicine, right? So looking at, like, right. like dealing with heart problems by taking, you know, doing heart surgery rather than like Dean Ornish talked about doing more preventative work. In, in every area of life, if we're not including the emotional and social and spiritual um, dimensions and intelligences involved, we're missing the boat. That's it. Well, we have more to talk about with Gary Malkin when we come right back. Find out what's happening on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Find out about new shows, featured guests, and what's up this week. Find us on Facebook by searching keyword Voice America. Leadership is not static. It evolves as you do. At Alexa Consulting, we work with CEOs, senior leaders, and leaders in transition who want to make a difference. Leaders who believe that good business is good for people, good for the world, and knows that conscious actions can have global impact. Are you ready to take your leadership to the next level? If you are, then visit our website at www.alexaconsulting.com. That's www.alexaconsulting.com. Alexa Consulting, developing leaders worldwide. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. We appreciate you joining our leading conversations today. If you would like to participate in today's conversation, please call us now at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Now back to your host, Cheryl. Well, welcome back to Leading Conversations. This is Cheryl Esposito, and we are speaking with Gary Malkin. All right, Gary, so we have learned a bit from you about how powerful music is in so many realms and connecting the human heart to what is. You know, I've read that you, the inspiration for your company was was originally around supporting um, the heart and the soul of people who are going through, you know, challenging transitions in life, different types of transitions. Right. Tell 
about, you know, what inspired that in you? Oh, man. <laughs> I often, when I tell this story, I say, do not try this at home. There are okay. easier ways to get to these realizations than the one that I did. <laughs> okay. Uh, the school of life has taught me. So I was, I was uh, at the top of my game. I was doing uh, uh, two television shows on major network television. I was doing, you know, the top commercials in the field nationally. I, I, you know, it was really, it was quite a time. I was making a lot of money. And I, looking back, I didn't realize the degree to which my value as a person was derived from external sources. Um, and uh, there's nothing wrong with that if it's in moderation, but really it came from that earlier comment I made about never feeling like my dad fully gave me the respect I wanted. So I came out like, you know, screaming with wanting it to be honored. And so I, 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 the balance was all off. And I crashed in a serious manner uh, 14 years ago. Had a horrible accident, shattered my wrists and my ribs, and didn't know if I'd ever play piano again. And a month later, my wife tells me she's in love with another man and wants to leave the marriage. And, and I had a six-year-old daughter. And it was one of those things where it was I called it my summer of Job. But, you know, <laughs> that famous phrase, time, you know, pain plus time equals humor, you know? So uh, I'm able to laugh about it now. <laughs> uh-huh. uh, yeah, and I have to say with complete confidence that if those events hadn't happened, I would not be on the phone with you today. I would not be on the radio show with you. Because what it did was it... Um, I kept on having signs early on that something was out of balance. And because of my attachment to being a big fish in the small pond and making a lot of money and all that, I didn't listen. And finally, what happened was uh, I started working on a project uh, to help people, a very, very early project, uh, early phase of to help people who are at the end of life. And what we found was that when you added music in an intentional way to these denial and pain and suffering infested environments, like a loved one who's dying and everyone around them is, you know, uh, denying it basically and saying, you'll be fine, you'll be fine. And the person who's dying knows that they're dying, but no one's around them that's acknowledging it. And, and basically, uh, we were exploring the idea of what if there was a musical tool that anyone could use that didn't require anybody's physical presence that could loosen and open people's ancient capacity to reclaim the, the full circle that human life is about, which is not just to celebrate and honor birth, but metaphorically or literally celebrate and honor all of the components of what the end of a phase is about, whether it's a life or a career or a relationship or anything. You know, the, the winter, the ending of the ending of the circle, we're very, most of us in our culture are extremely uh, young and immature, frankly, about it. We're, you know, yeah. So we were working on the early stages of this idea, and um, after doing two or three tracks it was uh, with my former creative partner, I had a shudder, literally, because it was so powerful. I went, you know, I've never created anything that was like medicine for the heart and soul. And I thought, uh -huh. what, what in me would have to change? Or what in me would have to die? in order for me to have this be an authentic gift to people who are going through real death, whether it's metaphoric or real, but real. And sure enough, a month later, I had this accident. <laughs> and then my oh, wife boy. left me, and, you know, 
everything fell apart. But I, looking back, I saw that the universe, God, source, whatever you say, however you define God, yeah. gave me the gift of being able to know what death was like without actually dying. Because I, I, everything that I was close to or attached to or identified with had been taken away from me, except for my daughter, thank God. And, um, and it was out of that process that this work called Graceful Passages, A Companion for Living and Dying, this book and CD set was born. And Cheryl, after that work was offered out to the world, I had the epiphany of a lifetime. I, I not only did I realize that who I, what I came here for was not entertainment, but I came here to create this new phrase that I coined called entertainment. I n n e r entertainment, and and that's when I began this journey that started Wisdom of the World, which was what if we used music and immersive media as a way to change our internal biochemistry. And another way to say it would be, what if we could use these tools instead of pharmacology to drop into the core of who we are, remember who we are and what matters most? You know, way better than a drink, a joint, or a Prozac, you know? And right. that's, that's when I set my course to what, what can we do with music and media to actually, in five minutes or less, drop you into the center of your core essence. And that's what I've been exploring for the last, you know, 12 plus years. Well, and I know personally that you've succeeded in doing that because, you know, I watched... I've seen you in action two or three times, and um, in Bali, I watched, um, how many of us were there? Uh, 1,500 people from about uh, 20 countries, yeah. Right, yeah. I I watched this group just coalesce around this music, and as one, you know, have this experience. It was phenomenal. It, It was absolutely phenomenal. So you've been successful in achieving what you've set out to achieve. And so, you know, if I look at, you know, you you ask the question, you're clearly connected to source because you got your answer. Oh, here, here's a way to experience death without experiencing death. And and so, you know, what what's the next question you're sitting in? You know, it's interesting. I'm I'm going to be given an opportunity to speak to some of the top event and conference organizers in North America in August, mm-hmm. and I've I, and it's an incredible opportunity. A friend of mine is giving me, and they're asking me. I want they want me to share what is the future uh, the the future innovations for conference gathering, and um, I'm just formulating my thoughts right now. But one of the things that I am going to explore is what I did at the Bali conference. You know, what, I don't know if you remember that there was a, a business panel one morning. Uh, there were business leaders from all these different major corporations in the Pacific Rim. And I designed a, a, a piece of spoken word and music using Thich Nhat Hanh's words uh, around it. The subject was the true meaning of success. The truth. And it's basically an example of this spoken word and music amalgam Modality. It's a, a thing I call neuroimaginal wisdom. And neuroimaginal wisdom is a working title I'm using to describe the effect that happens when people speak from essence, from the depth of who they are, um, set to a film score quality uh, soundtrack. And something happens to our brains and our hearts that it creates that integrative aha moment, that holy moment of self recognition. So, 
that I played that and got a choreographer from Bali uh, to to dance to it as the preamble to the conversation about business in the 21st century and beyond and, and sustainability issues and all that. And the whole panel of business people were planning to talk about one thing. And after the dance, I don't know if you remember this, uh, after the dance, they said, well, we can't talk about what we were planning to do because this, this changed everything, you know. The, <laughs> and, and it was such a privilege to see and demonstrate the power of art as a, a way to bring us beyond the cognitive and linear and rational conversations, which so yeah. dominate all of our lives to our detriment. I mean, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm in love with cognitive as, you know, as we're talking, you can tell I love words, but, yeah. but it's so much more powerful when you can recognize that there are ways to bring forward our hearts and spirits as well. So that, so the question I'm really asking is, I think we've just scratched the surface of Ending this pejorative relationship that academia and business and finance has to music is literally just, you know, like the way the royalty viewed, can you write me a symphony for my, my daughter's birthday? You know, it's like, oh, how, what a lovely, lovely thing that is. You know, it's much more important than that. And, it, and it, I don't think we, I think we've just begun understanding how to design and strategize and synergize these powers in a way that will enhance our capacity to be and do and relate and act in the way that is sustainable and that will enable us all to thrive on the planet. So that's my long, my long soapbox. <laughs> I think that's fascinating. Do you, um, do you have any favorite composer musicians other than yourself um, who, you know, maybe our audience might recognize the names, um, people who have been very well accepted, you know, on the um, pop scene, et cetera. Do you have any favorite ones that you think do this a little bit? Yeah, yeah. Well, first of all, Morton Lawrence, and I mentioned him before, He yes. is he's written a piece called Luke's Eterna, A-E-T-E-R-N-A, and it's without doubt the most beautiful choral orchestral piece of music I've ever heard in my life. And in fact, my former creative partner, Michael Stillwater, just did a feature-length documentary that is winning awards all over the world, and it's called Shining Night, N-I-G-H-T, a, a portrait of Martin Lauritsen, who's the greatest choral composer on the planet. So, I mean, he's amazing. Um, so he's somebody, I, I, he's one of my mentors and somebody I deeply respect. I also really love the pioneering work of Brian Eno, um, who came out with in the seventies music for airport I mean, in the eighties really, and just understood that you could change literally the air as a place that's ripe and fertile with so much more than just plain humdrum dry environments. And suddenly music is an ambient tool for consciousness. He was just one of the first ever to recognize that you could use music for that purpose. And he's just one of the pioneers for sure. And I, I love him. And, and then the other one of my heroes is Peter Gabriel. Also because I was a double major in ethnomusicology, I, I am in love with taking uh, the ethnic musical cultures, uh, and musics, the musics from different cultures, and integrating it or, or sharing it, because in a sense, they're like hieroglyphic blueprints of the soul of different cultures. Just listening to the true music of a culture is a way of 
kind of intravenous exposure to the soul of the culture. And I think that it's really an important exercise for people to suss out, listen to music that isn't familiar to them, especially from different cultures, as a way to heal our relationship to the way others sometimes feels foreign or even something that might, people might even be afraid of. So, so that's a little bit of my response to your question. Well, you know, it's fascinating. I, I agree that those two are absolutely powerful in, in the work that they do. And you used a word, ethnomusicology. Is that, well, did I hear that right? Yes, that's right. And so, and this is the the study of of indigenous music. Is that well? What it's a study of music from different cultures, right? Okay. And so, uh, I was a double major of ethnomusicology and composition at Oberlin Conservatory, and had a wonderful teacher where I played in the Javanese and Balinese gamelan, studied Indian classical music, and in fact, what brought me to California was I came and studied with the the, the world famous. Ustad Ali Akbar Khan, who was a MacArthur Genius Grant recipient and acknowledged in the world as one of the greatest Indian classical musicians ever, you know, for the 20th century. Um, and he brought my, his music brought me out to California, and I studied with him for three years. That's what brought me to Marin. Um, and, you know, on a deeper level, Cheryl, the study of music of a different culture is like giving yourself the opportunity to expand into being what I think is one of the most important objectives of our time for individuals. And I'm very opinionated about this, but the way Brian would say it, Brian Swim, the famous cosmologist would say, is that we're cosmological beings. Another way would say is that we were not, you know, we're not independent, we're not Democrats and Republicans and, and uh, you know, Americans. We're global citizens. We're citizens of the planet, citizens of the world. And I think that having an exposure to and a familiarity with different musical cultures is a phenomenal tool to cultivate that art of global citizenship, which, as you know, was the main reason the Bali Conference was created by our, by our friends, Marsha and Wilford. That's right. That's right. So we're going to take a break, but when we come back, Gary, I'd really like you to talk a bit about um, how... There's a specific form of music that, and a specific beat that if we hear it, if we listen to it, our brain responds to it a certain way, and we actually have the um, better cognitive memory because of that. Ooh. So, um, you know, let's, let's go to break, and when we come back, we'll pick up right there. We'll be right back. All right. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Leadership is not static. It evolves as you do. At Alexa Consulting, we work with CEOs, senior leaders, and leaders in transition who want to make a difference. Leaders who believe that good business is good for people, good for the world, and knows that conscious actions can have global impact. Are you ready to take your leadership to the next level? If you are, then visit our website at www.alexaconsulting.com. That's www.alexsaconsulting.com. Alexa 
Asset Consulting, developing leaders worldwide. The business community's first choice in Internet Talk Radio, Voice America Business Network. We appreciate you joining our leading conversations today. If you would like to participate in today's conversation, please call us now at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Now back to your host, Cheryl. Welcome back to Leading Conversations. Our guest today is Gary Malkin, founder and CEO of Wisdom of the World and an award-winning composer, producer, and performer throughout the world. All right, Gary, so, you know, we've been talking a little bit about um, how this music, how music can affect us through the brain, through the spirit, you know, how we learn differently, how we see differently when we are connected to music. So talk a bit about some of the practical ways that this, this really works in our lives. I'm really glad you asked this, Cheryl, because a lot of people, um, some people like who they're business people or people that are really focused on high performance, they'll listen to the fact that a composer is on their radio show and then they'll say, oh, that's not, that has nothing to do with me because I'm not focused on the arts at all. And that's how, you know, people think that way these days. And so one of the things I want to say is the way I look at it, you know, everybody's focusing on sustainable practices these days. And to me, the ultimate sustainability is to actually be engaged and present with all our aspects of our humanity, our emotional and spiritual and social and intellectual intelligence, it needs to be all firing, you know? So I, I say that the, one of the most challenging uh, situations going on in our world today is I, I coined a little phrase that most people are walking around with something that I call awareness fragmentation disorder. <laughs> and basically, it's another way of saying that we're all so demanded of and so fragmented in our attention, and our attention spans are being shortened every day, that the most important tool that I've been focusing on with Wisdom of the World are tools to cultivate and remediate, remedial tools for presence, for awareness. So um, I've developed contemplative music for sacred space, um, and also this idea of neuroimaginal wisdom, which is a way to drop in in an accelerated way for people that know, for example, most people that know that if you do yoga, you, you know, it's phenomenally good for your health, right? Well, and people who have studied the science know that people who meditate have an enormous you know, benefits, psychophysiological and emotional and spiritual benefits. Well, for 90% of the people that can't sit on a Zafu cushion and meditate at a Zen monk or as a Zen monastery, there are other ways to get there. And it's not that I don't mean to equivocate them because in some ways you can't ever compare to hours and hours of meditation, but, but there are tools that we can use that can de- de- where we can derive the benefits of meditation. And one of them is this uh, tool that, that I hooked up with this company called TGI Pro, this wonderful device where you listen to it, um, and it's like 12 minutes is like three-hour nap, and called the, you know, it actually has all these health benefits. Really? But, yeah, it's called uh, the New Reality, or TGI Pro, and I do uh, I create content for this platform, and you can learn more about it on my website, and I'll tell you about that, you know, Wisdom of the World. But there are tools that can actually cultivate and strengthen our capacity to be fully present. Um, another one is the wisdom films. If you go to Hulu.com 
Uh, and there are many ways to do this, but my way is Hulu.com and then plug in Wisdom of the World. And put your feet on the ground, your back straight. And you, and for those couch potatoes who really love media and don't want to meditate, breathe and look at these wisdom films. And, uh-huh. uh, and honestly, watch what happens to your state, emotionally, spiritually, and, psych- and physiological. So my goal is to, for all those people that, don't, that are too busy and need eye and ear candy, we've uh-huh. developed these tools to drop in. And one of the, you know, one of the uh, examples of something that you can do is, is this track that we've prepared, uh, I think, to play. Uh, is now maybe a good time for that? Yeah, let's hear this. So I'll set it up a little bit. It's this. This is an example of uh, what I call neuroimaginal wisdom, and its its purpose is really to use the power of listening itself to drop back into the heart of your heart and come back home. And in five minutes, it's kind of a five-minute game changer. It drops you back into the deep, deep serenity of your heart and soul. And when you come back out of it, things look different. The colors are a little clearer. You're hearing a little bit more clearly. You're more centered. You know. So there's an example of that. We'll play a couple minutes of it. Oh, that sounds so great. Let's listen. Business people, they are very eager to succeed. They think of success day and night, and they allow their mind to be possessed entirely by the desire to succeed. To the degree that they ignore their own life and the life of their family. A business become a kind of dictator. They take up all the energy, all the time, and they left their wife, their children alone, suffer very much. Their children can never forgive them because they can give a lot of money to their children, to their wife. And yet people in their family never forgive them because they are not there. They have a father, and yet they don't. They have a husband, and yet they don't. There was a lady who came to business retreat in Plum Village. And she said that in the beginning she was very happy as the wife of the boss. She enjoyed very much organizing reception and things like that. But finally she found out that she's very lonely because her husband did not have any time for her and for the children. When their son went to the hospital for surgery, he could not come. She had to spend all night with uh, the daughter. 
and when it's her turn to go for surgery, uh, he could not come either. She tried to forget her loneliness by um, doing things like humanitarian work, enroll into a degree to get busy in her study in order to forget her loneliness. But nothing worked. And she always cry. And he said, well, darling, no one can replace me now. I have to wait until a number of years, and then I will retire and will devote all my time and my energy to you and the children. And six months later, he got into an automobile accident and was killed at the age of 51. He has said that nobody can replace him, but in three days they replace him. There is a notion that has to be removed. That happiness is when you have more power, more wealth, more success. And that is the thing that sucks you into the future. You have no capacity of living in the present moment. And the teaching of the Buddha is that conditions for your happiness are already more than sufficient in the here and the now. If you are established in the here and the now, you can be very happy today. If a businessman reconsider the notion of success, the notion of happiness, they might be able to focus their life on the present moment, making happiness possible right in the here and the now, not waiting for the future. And if they live on such a foundation of happiness and love, you have more chance to succeed. After that, their family will participate in the business and making the business into a cozy and happy family where they can take care of the workers and their families. And if their business is a symbol of happiness and they know that they can do something to help the world, the business now has a meaning. They know what to produce, what to sell, and what not to produce, and what not to sell. Because that happiness is not just having a lot of money and power, but happiness is to see people around you happy. Gary, I'm so glad that you share this with us. How powerful. 
Yeah, I, I, I'm in love with this format. I really am. And I, I, you know, it's so funny. I jokingly said that if Jesus walked into a room and spoke, I don't think we'd even notice him because we're so distracted. But there's something. <laughs> There's something about music, and specifically the film scoring art form, because we're also entrained to just, you know, get dumped out of the moment music and images, and you know, where all of us have been trained by movies and television so much. That something about the power of film score quality music that makes us listen in a different way than if we were just listening to the words. Have you, do you know what I'm talking about, Cheryl? Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, all I have to do is think about any. Any film that I have watched that I I feel really connected to the music and watch how it comes in and how it takes me to where it wants to go or or informs me before we get there where we're going you know I mean it, it's just fascinating it always has been fascinating to me yeah. if we're sitting in a movie theater I've always loved the huge sound the sound so big you know it's just, and now with surround sound and all that different yeah. technology it's just amazing yeah. so even something like this, what you have presented, is so powerful because it just, it, it forces our brain to, does it actually force the brain to work in, on, in two ways? In Multiple. Kind of, more, yeah. than, more than even two. So there's okay. many, you know, the, uh, uh, the music ophelia, Oliver Sacks wrote the book about, like, there are complete shut-ins with uh, Alzheimer's that are completely shut out. And the moment you play music, they'll start to sing and, and speak as if they did when they were 20 years old. Now, what is that? What is that? Ultimately, there is so much mystery involved in, you know, I, li- I like to say that music, it, not only it, everything in the universe is based on vibration. So, so the fact that we were born, that when we're forming in the womb, 24 weeks in utero, that the first sense that human beings have is, is hearing. The very first sense is our ears. And the last sense to go before we die has been proven to be hearing. And to me, those are real kind of winks from the universe that say that listening and sound and music is our, our portals to the great mystery, to the unseen world. And, and if you don't want to speak in such woo-woo language, you could say there's something going on around the power of vibration, frequency, color, sound that have something very seminal to do with our humanity and our, our and life itself you know yeah. so i i can't yeah. ignore that i don't think we can ignore it well you know it makes me think about um how i've heard that students who listen to certain types of music actually um have better memory of what they're studying Oh, yeah. Well, NLP yeah. has proven that certain types of music, and also the work of the famous Don Campbell, who wrote The Mozart Effect, that there are certain tempos of music and certain styles of music that will actually assist people's capacity to assimilate and remember content. Um, and certainly, you know, when you ask somebody who was your favorite teacher from elementary school, do you actually remember, oh, I remember when I learned that calculus or that addition thing? Or yeah. You don't remember that. Right. <laughs> you don't remember a thing about that. What you remember is if that teacher was generally it was somebody who was extremely emotionally intelligent, who knew how to care, who knew how to infuse emotion into the air, and you remembered and you loved learning because of the amount of heart presence that was in the room. Often, you know? So, Absolutely. And I certainly don't mean to simplify it as if it's just that, but 
our, you know, heart math has proven that our hearts are the center of all that matters in life. It's truly that there's a great heart intelligence that's, that's at the center of everything. And I think that music has a way of really correlating that in a palpable way. You know, when I work with my clients, um, CEOs and senior leaders and companies all over the world, I, oftentimes they are in some sort of personal transition or leadership transition where they want to take something in their life, whether it's their role at work or they're in their life, up to the next level. And so oftentimes that requires them to really step out of their box and step out of the space where people are saying, oh, you know, you have to stay here, you're on this track, leave it alone. Is there a way to help them? Oh, God. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that uh, I love that you asked that question. And that's where I actually am. So I'm working with a guy named Jeff Howard, who is creating a, a program for that platform I talked about, that device um, that I love. Because instead of that, you know, those momentary workshop highs or this momentary yeah. transmission that you might uh, give to a client, you have a way of actually every day, every night, integrating these deep, deep, deep beliefs and affirmations into the subconscious of our beings. And, and I, I, I think that because of the noise out there, Cheryl, you know, because of the fragmentation, I think that we, in order to be fully functioning, need to be proactive in a way that awakens, cultivates, and enhances our emotional and spiritual intelligence in ways that, um, are, if we want to be cutting edge and really retain the awakenings that are happening in our various intelligences, I think that we're going to need to use extraordinary measures and, and get wider with these kinds of tools. So yes, I do think that there's a way to do that. And, but I do think that what it does is take a willingness to have the innocence of beginner's mind. And I don't think, I don't think we'll ever expand until we say, okay, you know, be really curious about yeah. well, what's really going on here. Yeah. And I think that that's an essential ingredient for that stuff. Well, and that takes courage, right? Yeah, do you work with courage? Do you work with courage in, in the music? Well, it's so great. You, you know, honestly, I, I mean this sincerely. I'm glad you asked this question because Graceful Passages, for those of you who don't know, which is the work that resulted from uh, helping that end-of-life scenario, it's, it has been seen, it's been listened to and, and touched over a half a million lives around the world. And the goal has always been to create a sequel which ironically is the prequel, and it's on. It's basically spoken messages and music from thought leaders and humanitarian leaders from around the world, and the goal is to do it on courage, faith, hope, and resilience, which ironically is the thing you want before, like say if you got a terminal diagnosis, you'd want to have those things first and then have the willingness to accept and surrender your circumstances. So uh, this next track that we have lined up, I wrote it, you know, really funny, Cheryl, I wrote it for me um, because I'm going through this big move right now and I'm a creature of, of wanting to stay things familiar, you know. And, and so this music, if you listen to it, it's called Courage to Dream. And it's an example. And I wrote it very, very specifically as a tool to catalyze the courage that lies innate in each of us. So whatever your dream is, whatever it is that you hope to achieve, there's a way that you can attract different kinds of music as, in, as in, in a sense, like a, an injection of confidence, an injection of inspiration. Um, and uh, 
So this track was created for that, and uh, yeah, I could say more, but I don't want to take too much time. So, okay. Yeah. All right. Well, let's listen. That was fantastic. <laughs> I, I, it's funny because there's a thank you, by the way, thank you. There, there's a study by a man, uh, Jonathan Haidt, who has been on TED a lot. And one of the early parts of his work is he did this theory of elevation. And he said that um, when we're inspired, touched and moved to tears and chills, that our bodies physiologically and anatomically run, metabolically run at the optimal state. So. Huh. You know, like many would say, you need research to show me that, you know, but those things are so powerful. And so it's really true that if you have you gotten your daily minimum requirement of inspiration today, it's like you, we need to be inspired. We need yeah. it, you know, yeah. To, yeah. To, to live, to live fully. So that's, I, that, right. that's why I'm so thrilled to share this stuff with you, Cheryl. It's really a privilege. 
Well, this is fantastic, and we could talk for hours, Gary. We're coming to the end of the show. I, I, I'm so privileged to have you here. I know our listeners are so excited and will want to know more, so where can they go to learn? Well, GaryMalkin.com is uh, it's a very simple site, but it leads you to either my music production site, which is Musaic, M-U-S-A-I-C, or Wisdom of the World, which is where all my products are. And again, that, that site is sort of the mother of all, um, and because those, that's where all these tools are. The platform, the device to to, to listen to content, right. the music for contemplative music in the background, and also this neuroimaginal wisdom film. So, wisdomoftheworld.com is the best site to go if you right. if you want to know where I can where you can get more of my material. And I just want you to know, I love sharing live keynotes and stuff. So, for any of you business people or healthcare people that would love a, a, a keynote, I'm in love with that. And Cheryl, I'd love to you know do something with you sometime. Oh, that would. Be fun. Oh, yeah. Thank you so much for being here, Gary. It has been a privilege, and you have inspired today. Oh, thank you, Cheryl. It's been a, a joy to be with you today. Remember, everyone, to think big, because the world could be a better place because of a conversation that matters. This is Cheryl Esposito. Thank you for spending this hour with Cheryl Esposito and Leading Conversations. You can listen live every Friday at 10 a.m. Pacific Standard Time on the Voice America Business Channel. If you have a question or comment for Cheryl, please email her at leadingconversations at alexaconsulting.com. That's L-E-A-D-I-N-G-C-O-N-V-E-R-S-A-T-I-O-N-S at A-L-E-X-S-A-C-O-N-S-U-L-T-I-N-G.com. See you next week.